A few weeks ago, we started our study of the book of Philemon. And when you look at the overall theme of the book of Philemon, you can see that it reminds us that in Christ, we are not who we used to be. And today we're going to be looking at just two verses. We're going to be looking at verses 15 and 16 of Philemon. So turn there with me. We're going to be talking about what it looks like when we gain an eternal mindset in a temporary world. It's a brand new way of thinking. It's a brand new perspective as we gain an eternal mindset in a temporary world. So Philemon, verses 15 and 16, this is what it says. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to look at this portion of Scripture today, which is obviously a very brief portion of Scripture, just two verses. But Lord, there's a lot that you reveal to us in these two verses. And so, Lord, we pray that as we look at some of the things that you impressed upon the heart of the Apostle Paul to write to Philemon, some of the things that reflect deep theological realities that you apply to us, we pray, Lord, that we would understand these things more deeply. We pray that you'd help us to grow in our walk with you. We pray, Lord, that our faith would mature, and that as we look at a portion of Scripture like this, that you would help us to develop more of an eternal mindset when we're surrounded by so many things that are just temporary in nature. So, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the privilege that it is to be able to look at it together today, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I was recently sitting down to watch a movie that that seemed to center around the central plot of the main characters trying to search for lost treasure that was worth billions of dollars, according to you know, what they were saying in the movie. They said it's worth billions of dollars. And so when I watch the movie, one of the things that, that I'm always impressed with is when a movie doesn't seem predictable. You know, if you've seen enough movies, you realize that there's like three plot themes that get circulated through most movies. And as I was watching it, I realized, oh, nope, it's following a familiar blueprint. And so it followed the familiar blueprint of action scenes, intrigue, theft, and the loss of life. That was kind of the mix that went into this movie. And in fact, several of the main characters either took the lives of other people or lost their lives in pursuit of the riches that were kind of like the main theme of this movie. And admittedly, the storyline, when you look at it, that's, it was exaggerated. It was something that I, when I looked at it, I thought, all right, this isn't terribly uh, like plausible that some of these things would take place. But one of the things that I thought was kind of interesting as I thought about it, I thought, you know what, the underlying, the underlying theme is actually somewhat commonplace. The majority of people living on this planet, today or throughout history, whatever era of history you want to pick, they've spent their lives trading the eternal for the temporary. And uh, apart from the intervention of Christ, humanity just stays locked in a cycle of short-term thinking that produces short-term value and short-term results. And that's something that I think the Lord tries to challenge in your life and in my life because it's a very different way of thinking. And, you know, when we watch a movie like that or when I watch a movie like that, I think to myself, all right, it's silly, uh, you know, that, to think that somebody would risk their life for gold. It's silly to think that somebody would actually risk their life or even take a life for some sort of earthly treasure. And yet, how often do we do the same exact thing, at least in regard to, to using up our life or giving our life 
for things that are far less valuable. I think it's very common that many of us could spend the majority of our time chasing things that don't have eternal value. But one of the, the blessings that we experience as followers of Christ is a brand new perspective. He grants us a brand new way of seeing things. The Holy Spirit opens our eyes to begin seeing things from an eternal perspective. And he teaches us to view our experiences, he teaches us to view our opportunities, and he teaches us to view our relationships through that lens. So your experiences, your opportunities, your relationships, all these things should be seen through an eternal lens because they all have eternal consequence. And when you look at just the two verses that we're looking at today from this brief letter to Philemon, that's the perspective that the Apostle Paul was trying to emphasize. This passage shows us what it looks like when you develop an eternal perspective in the midst of a temporary world, and it's a drastically different way of looking at things. And one of the things that comes with that perspective, when you develop an eternal perspective toward the things that you're experiencing, toward the things that you're seeing, to even toward the opportunities that are being presented right in front of you, one of the things that you start to realize as the Lord makes it clear to your mind is that there's a reason for everything. There's a reason for everything. Even, even if the sermon today just stopped right there, don't you think that's a helpful thing for our hearts to be reminded of? I know for me, that's something I have to come back to over and over and over again. There is a reason for everything. The way Paul phrases it here, and I'll give you some context in a second, but if you look at verse 15 again, he says, for this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. Now, just let that verse reverberate in your mind for a second. I'll read it again. For this, is per, for this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. Now, as we kind of set this up a little bit here, let me just mention this. There have been a few seasons in my life that I would say have stretched me or have produced an abnormal amount of stress in my life. And I'm sure that you probably have a few seasons in your own life that you could point to that you would say, yeah, that was a stressful season, or that was a, a season that stretched me in ways that I'm not used to being stretched. And one of those seasons for me occurred when I was in college. That was a time when my life was filled with a whole bunch of work. I had a whole bunch of work, living in a context where there were very high expectations, and also living in circumstances in a dorm that were sometimes less than ideal. I remember at some points I loved dorm life, and then other times I hated dorm life. And uh, I, I still remember at times when I would go and visit people just in regular homes and I'd sit on a couch that wasn't like uh, lounge furniture and I forgot just how comfortable house couches were. I was like, oh, this is so much better. This is so much better. But I remember at one point experiencing conflict with a roommate who had the opposite philosophy towards schooling that I possessed. He would stay up late goofing around and, uh, and then I would get up early. So, all right, let me... Let me I have to give a little more background than that. I started college by staying up late too, and then realized, hey, John, you're getting bad grades, and you're walking around like a zombie because you're tired all the time. You should probably get more sleep. And so I decided, all right, the way I'm going to get more sleep is I'm going to schedule all my classes at 8 a.m. that I can pick. I'm going to start off every day at 8 a.m. The earliest they offer classes, I'm always going to pick that so that it forces me to start my day right away and will we'll trick my body into not staying up late at night. So I did that, but one of my roommates decided that he was going to do the exact opposite. He scheduled all his classes to start at 2 p.m. <laughs> and so he was living a very different life from what I was living, 
And as I started to grow frustrated with that, as I was trying to get sleep, but he was more than happy just to have lights on and make noise and do different things like that, I remember at one point getting very, very frustrated with that. And this doesn't happen to me a ton, but I've noticed that sometimes when I get real, like just really angry about something, I feel it in my head and I feel it in my chest, and they both feel like they're on fire. And I remember one night just laying in bed trying to sleep, but I couldn't because of all the noise and everything, and I just felt like both were on fire, and I thought, you know what, the only thing I could do at this point now, I've said whatever I could say, I, I'm frustrated beyond um, you know, my capacity to take it. The only thing I could do is just pray. And I remember in, in that time of prayer, I remember the Lord reminding me, listen, John, I've got a reason for everything. I've got a reason for everything. I know that this is annoying to you. I know that this is uncomfortable to you but you're going to learn something that's going to make you a more mature person in the process. And I think one of the things the Lord was preparing me for was the fact that, all right, first of all, when you're sharing space with people, you got to learn to be flexible. And uh, growing up, I didn't have to share space with people too often. I was the only boy. I have all sisters. And so I grew up not really having to share space. And so I was learning to be flexible. And I thought, you know what, that's probably going to be beneficial when I'm uh, married and have kids. It is beneficial, although I still get a little fussy about certain things, but you just ask my kids afterward. But I think one of the other things that I was learning in the midst of that is that it's fruitless to, to stress over things that you cannot control. It doesn't produce good fruit. So I was in the midst of a context, I was like, I don't really have a ton of control over how this guy operates his life. I am forced to live with this guy for a little while. We are friends outside of this context, but it's very hard to live together. And I just remember thinking, you know what? It's fruitless. It's fruitless to stress over things I can't control. I just need to give this over to the Lord. And I say that to kind of lead into what we're looking at here in verse 15, because in verse 15, you have the Apostle Paul trying to remind Philemon that there's a reason for everything. Well, think back to the background of some of the things that he's talking about here. He's, he's speaking to a man who has lost a, a bondservant. He's lost a slave, Onesimus. Onesimus escaped from slavery in Philemon's household. And I'm certain that Philemon was upset that that had taken place because in the culture, that was a big part of how they operated life at the time. And so Paul used the words of this passage to explain that there was a greater purpose that God had in mind for what had taken place. Onesimus was now going to be returning to Philemon, but he was going to be returning to him as a changed man. In his absence, he had become a Christian. Philemon had also become a Christian. And there would be a reunion between the two of them that was going to have eternal ramifications for both men. Now, Paul was trying to help Philemon see that there's a reason for everything, including things that don't seem terribly pleasant in the moment. God is sovereign. Do you ever use that phrase to describe God? God is sovereign. Remember once when I was trying to explain that to somebody, I was like, you know what, I use that phrase and I don't think I understand what it means. God is sovereign. You know what that means? It's the idea that he's in complete control. God is in full control. He's sovereign. He's orchestrating his plan for the redemption of humanity, and he's carrying it out with precision. It was God's sovereign will that Onesimus would hear the gospel proclaimed by the Apostle Paul in Rome, and that, and that Onesimus would come to the understanding of his need for Jesus in his life. And as our faith in Christ matures, 
I believe that we should also look for these kinds of things as the Lord's orchestrating these things and basically observing over the course of our lives that God is in control and He's orchestrating things together for our good and for His glory. So if there's something that you're experiencing, even something that stresses you out or even something that seems like a bigger test than what you're used to, keep in mind there's a reason for everything. God is sovereign and it's ultimately going to be for your good. There's a portion of Scripture in the book of Isaiah, chapter 14, that I want to show you real quickly. In Isaiah 14, verse 24, the Lord reveals this. It says, The Lord of hosts has sworn, As I have planned, so shall it be. And as I have purposed, so shall it stand. So just think about that in regard to just how God operates in creation, but also how God operates in your life and in my life. As I have planned, so shall it be. And as I have purposed, so shall it stand. I think that's a comforting thing to keep in mind, especially when you go through seasons of life that feel quite disjointed and maybe a bit out of control. But all throughout Scripture, God reveals that He has plans. He's got plans. He's not operating according to accident. He didn't just create the world. Some people have this impression that God created the world, set it in motion, set it spinning, and He just steps back and He observes and that he's not really fully interested or fully vested in what's taking place, but that's not the case at all. He's not operating according to accident. He has a plan. Our God is orderly and purposeful by nature. Nothing escapes his sight. He's actively directing human history toward a desired outcome. One of the things that actually gives me peace when I look at circumstances taking place in my life or circumstances taking place in the world is the fact that the Bible already tells you how it's all going to resolve, how it's going to end and how it's going to resolve and what's coming next. And so I think to myself, all right, if the Lord already is telling me how it's going to end, how it's going to resolve and how it's going to come up, like what's going to come up next, that means that he's in control even in the midst of the things that are taking place right now because for him to be able to tell me how it's all going to end He obviously must be in control of the things that take place leading up to that if he's going to tell me how it's going to finish. I remember growing up, and maybe some of you remember growing up uh, with some of this as well. Young people, be glad that this isn't the case for you, and I hope it's never the case for you. But I remember growing up, they were always talking about the threat of nuclear war. You know, growing up as a child in the 80s and and during that season, there was always the thought, and then you'd hear phrases like, mutually assured destruction. Do you remember that phrase? Mutually assured destruction, meaning that if the Soviet Union set off nuclear bombs toward us, that we had our nuclear bombs aimed at them, and they would go off, and we have twice as much, it's like, you don't need that many to just blow up everything, right? Um, But the, the point being, I remember as a child thinking, oh, I hope that never happens. I hope nobody accidentally presses the button. I hope nothing, you know, like that takes place. And then I, then I thought to myself, wait a second, that's not how the Bible is ordained for creation to transition from one phase to another. This isn't what Scripture reveals. And so why do I need to sit here constantly worried about this? Because that's not what the Scripture reveals. Like, I, I know nuclear weapons get used, and it's certainly a big deal, but it was presented to us as the end of the world. And I thought to myself, okay, things like that could happen, but that's not the end of the world. That's not the end of the world. That's not what Scripture actually says is the end of the world. And all throughout Scripture, you have God revealing the fact that He has plans and that He's orchestrating all sorts of things, ultimately, for those who love Him toward a desired end, toward a good end. And I think while this is true theologically, you know, while this is something that we could look at a verse like we just looked at in Isaiah, while we could look at some of the things that Paul said here in this letter to Philemon, I think it takes faith for us to believe this in a personal way. 
Because I think a lot of times people look at this and they say, yeah, theologically speaking, I can agree that God has all things under his control. And we would say that in a general sense, but at times we don't apply that truth to our individual lives in the sense we don't allow ourselves to believe that. I think it's a little, little easier for us to say, yeah, in a general sense, God has a plan for humanity at large, but it could be a little bit difficult for us to recognize that he's also orchestrating a very specific plan for you and for me. Do you ever find yourself in that spot where you believe that God has a plan for humanity but not a plan for you? It would not surprise me if there's a season of your life where maybe you've wrestled with that. And I'll say this, I don't know what you're dealing with right now, and I don't know what you've dealt with over the course of your life. I would assume probably some pretty heavy stuff. But are you willing to believe that there's a greater purpose for it? Because if you look at what Scripture actually says, there absolutely is a greater purpose for it. Are you living with the assurance that God is taking all things, including the things that others may have meant for your harm, and yet God is using it for the greater good, for your greater good and for the greater good of other people. And one of the things that you have here, as Paul is just kind of explaining some of these things to Philemon, things that have taken place, he's reminding him, listen, there's a reason for everything. You were upset that Onesimus escaped, but now he's coming back. And in the meantime, you have grown in your faith as a Christian, and Onesimus has grown in his faith as a Christian. You become believers and you're going to operate in a different way toward each other. There's a purpose for everything. Well, it, that truth applies to all areas of our lives. But here's something else. As so we talk about this idea of having an eternal perspective in a temporary world, something else that Paul brings out, still looking at verse 15, is the fact that there's a longer timetable than I think we commonly consider. I think we're used to using short timetables to, to either observe the plan of God or what's taking place around us. And you look at a portion of Scripture like this, and it reminds us there's a longer timetable than we, t than we commonly consider. Let me reread verse 15 again. He says, For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. So notice the contrast there, while and forever. So it's like a little while contrasting with forever. So notice the word forever that Paul is using as he speaks to Philemon. It's a great word, and it's a terrifying word, depending how you look at it. You know, if our hearts are anchored to Christ, and if we have perfect peace about living in His presence for all eternity, the word forever is a glorious word. If we're distant from Christ, and we aren't living with the assurance of an eternal life in His presence, then that word is certainly dreadful, because all it, um, the concept of forever for someone who does not have a living, active relationship with Jesus Christ is basically the concept of a forever separated from the one who created you, distant from God. And so the concept of forever is either a glorious term for us or it's a dreadful term for us. If we know the Lord, it's a glorious term. But have you ever felt overwhelmed with the trials that you're de dealing with in a given moment to the point where it felt like those trials were something that were, would last forever? Um, this, is, this is kind of a a heavy example to bring up, but I'm going to bring it up just the same. It would not surprise me if some of us gathered together in this room could recall seasons where we've gone through trials, where our minds have seriously contemplated suicide as an option in the midst of those trials. I remember when I was in high school, someone that I had grown up with decided to exercise that option, and I remember going to his funeral 
and standing at the casket, and a thought crossed my mind, and it was the same thought that crossed my mind uh, uh, about a decade ago when another friend of mine took his own life, and I stood at his casket, and I thought the same thing, and I wondered, why did they believe, why was it their belief that things would never get better? So these two friends, two people I was very close to, made the same decision, and I, I just thought to myself, why did they believe it would never get better? Why was that what they were, why was that how they perceive things? Why did they believe it would never get better? I think there's times in life when our pain is so great that it's hard to see beyond it. You've probably experienced a few seasons like that in your own life where the pain was so great that it was hard to see beyond it. And I think there's at times seasons in our life that we experience when it doesn't even seem possible like things are ever going to get better. But the honest truth is that for those who have placed their hope in Jesus Christ, we can learn to see our, our pain as a momentary thing because we're developing an eternal perspective that allows us to see beyond it. And that's one of the things, you know, when you look at what Scripture tells us, it says, be ready to, to just speak up about the hope you have in Christ. And why does Scripture encourage us to be ready to speak at any given moment about the hope we have in Christ? Well, just think about the people that you interact with on a daily basis. I'm assuming that most people you know do not have an active relationship with Jesus Christ, which means effectively, theologically, they are living without eternal hope. So if you're living in the midst of a world without eternal hope, and yet you possess eternal hope, Scripture's saying, listen, speak up about it. And you know when... when at times, our voice gets amplified specifically in that area when people are observing how we're handling some of our darkest and most challenging seasons. And when you have the opportunity to speak up in the midst of one of those seasons, and you have an opportunity to give the reason for the hope that you have in Jesus Christ in the midst of one of those seasons, I think it could often be from that particular season that the Lord uses your experiences to speak into the lives of other people, and to encourage people to run toward him instead of running away from him. And I think that in many respects, from the perspective of eternity, I think we'll actually be thankful for some of the painful experiences we've endured, because it's through those experiences that our faith was tested. It's through those experiences that our faith became strong. It may be through those experiences that you learned to pray with complete dependence on the Lord, because you've You've run out of any other option. I also think it may be through painful experiences that, that you finally turn your life over to the Lord if you've been running from Him for a particular period of time. Recently read, I'm not some architectural expert, but I recently read something about the Cathedral of Milan, and apparently there are three gates right outside the Cathedral of Milan. And over one of the gates, there's an inscription in marble under a, a beautiful flower bouquet that says, the things that please are temporary. So under, on that one gate, it says, the things that please are temporary. And then there's another gate with a cross on it. And that gate says, the things that disturb us are temporary. And then over the central gate, there's a big inscription that says, eternal are the important ones. Eternal are the important ones. It's the idea of starting to view things from an eternal perspective. There's a longer timetable at play than we often consider. The timetable that God is operating on is much longer than we commonly think. And I want to encourage you with something, 
And I want to share four specific things that help me in the midst of seasons like this. Things that I try to tell myself when I'm tempted to forget the concept of forever because I'm caught up in the trials of the moment. And that can happen to me, it can happen to any of us very easily, where the trials of the moment seem like they're never, ever, ever going to improve. And yet when you look at what Scripture reveals to us, it reveals to us that indeed they will improve. For those who know Jesus Christ, we have a glorious future to look ahead toward. But in the midst of those trials, there's a few things that I find particularly helpful. And I'll start with prayer, but in addition to prayer, there's a few other things that I remind myself of, four other things. First of all, number one, I, I like to tell myself, you'll feel better if you get some extra sleep tonight. You'll feel better if you get some extra sleep tonight. I've never historically been a great sleeper. And so I'll, I'll, I'll remind myself in the midst of a difficult season or if I had a difficult day, you know what? You'll feel better if you get some extra sleep tonight. Does that seem very theologically deep? You know, it's like, what did your pastor speak about today? He just told me to get more sleep. <laughs> How about this? This is another thing that I like to say to myself when I'm in the midst of something that seems pretty challenging. In two weeks... This won't sting quite as severely as it does right now, and you'll have more clarity about it. It's like, give it two weeks. John, give it two weeks. You don't have to make decisions today. Give it two weeks. It won't sting as severely in two weeks. Third thing I like to tell myself is this. You have a perfect eternity to look forward to, so don't lose sight of it. Why is that one that I like to tell myself? You have a perfect eternity to look forward to, so don't lose sight of it. I like to tell myself that because I think sometimes we think that we have to have the perfect earthly life. We get all consumed in trying to create the perfect earthly life. Oh, what if this messes up my life? What if this messes up my future? And it's like, no, you have, you have a perfect eternity to look forward to. Right now is a testing phase. This is a test. Don't bank all your hope on having a perfect earthly life. That's not how this works. All right, how about this? This is the fourth one. I remind myself, Jesus will not abandon you in the midst of this trial. He is with you always. He will not abandon you in the midst of this trial. He is with you always. So I don't know if my list is helpful to you. I hope it's helpful to somebody, but I have to tell you, it's helpful to me to think about the fact there's a longer timetable at play here than I commonly consider. And when I think about the fact that the Lord's in control of all of it, it helps me immensely. But there's one other thing that I think this scripture brings out when we're trying to think about things from an eternal perspective And I think we're shown it in verse 16 where it reminds us that there are relationships that are meant to be everlasting. Look at what it says at verse 16. It says, no longer as a bondservant. So you have Paul talking to Philemon about the new relationship that Philemon and Onesimus are going to have, where Philemon's not going to be a a slave master and, and, and Onesimus isn't going to be a slave. And so Paul's saying, look, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you? both in the flesh and in the Lord. It's a very cool statement to think about here. By the way, have you ever thought about the cast of characters that the Lord brings into your life and out of your life over the course of of your life? When you were a child, who did you interact with on a daily basis? So think about some of those people, and how many of those people are still part of your daily interactions? I don't think there's anybody from that season of my life that is part of my daily interactions. I don't think there's anyone. Um, Fifteen years ago, who did you see and talk to regularly? 
And are they still strong friends, or maybe have some of those people become distant acquaintances at this particular season of your life? Friendships tend to change. Even family relationships tend to change. Many of the people I called family as a child, many of those people are no longer living. They're still family, but they're not people I get to interact with right now. Or some of those people that you know, were family that I interacted with on a daily basis during that season of life, they don't live anywhere near me at present. Many of the people I call family today, they weren't even born a decade ago. You know, they've only been showing up, those nieces and nephews. My kids are older than a decade, but those nieces and nephews, they keep showing up, right? They, weren't even, they didn't even exist a decade ago. And some of my present-day family, they came into my life through marrying my wife. So I didn't know them growing up, but I married my wife, and then my family, the circle of who I call family, expanded drastically. I even think of this from a local church standpoint. People come and go from churches all the time. And I recently read that the average stay for a lead pastor is five years. Five years or, or less, actually, is the average stay. And for a youth pastor, it's three years or less. So if our friends and our family and our church relationships keep changing so frequently, don't you think that that might start impacting our perspective toward relationships in general? If your friends and your family and your church relationships change with that much, with, with, you know, that rapidly, don't you think that that has an impact on how we see other people as they come into our lives? I think it could become very easy to start treating people from a temporary perspective instead of an eternal one. And so here you have the Apostle Paul speaking to Philemon, to Philemon and he's trying to teach him something or trying to explain something to him here that he wouldn't naturally have known. Paul wanted Philemon to know that Onesimus may have left him as a hired hand, but he was now returning to him as an eternal brother in the Lord. That's a helpful transformation for us to observe because it reflects the nature of our relationship with the Lord as well. And I'll give you an example of what I mean by that. In John 15, 15, Jesus said this. He said, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. So Jesus told his disciples they were more than servants to him. Now, obviously, I think as our faith in Christ grows, we desire to serve him. We desire to live as servants of Christ. But he's saying, look, you're more than my servants. He says, you're, he, he's, as Christ is talking to the disciples, he says, you're my friends. And this was a lesson, by the way, that Philemon was being called to understand here as well. It's a lesson that Christ wants us to understand as well. We have been graced with an eternal friendship with the Son of God. There are many people in this world that know about Jesus, but a small segment of people in this world that could say, I'm close, personal friends with Jesus Christ. And when Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, this is how our relationship develops. He said, I, I no longer call you servants. Servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I've called you my friends. I don't know how it makes you feel to think that Christ would look at you and not be ashamed to call you his friend, but I know that that warms my heart. The fact that Christ would look at me and he said, you know what, John, I, I desire friendship with you. I see people spend their lives chasing after friendship after friendship over and over again because they feel so abandoned in this world. And yet when you look at what Scripture tells us, it tells us that Christ looks at us and he says, I have called you my friends. That's his response to his disciples. 
How about this? This is an interesting one. I don't know if you're familiar with this. I'll read it from the New Living Translation. But in Luke 16, 9, Jesus says this. Here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then when your possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. Do you ever come across that verse and said to yourself, what on earth is that talking about? Because the way some uh, translations phrase it, it's like, yeah, use your money. It's like spend your money on other people and then they'll welcome you into their home in heaven. And you're like, Could you, can I have some more clarity on that? Like, what does that mean exactly? But I think what Jesus is teaching here is the idea you know, like looking at relationships from an everlasting standpoint. It's the idea that the way that we interact with our brothers and sisters in Christ now, it reverberates into eternity. So the people that you bless with your time, the people that you bless with your resources, the things that the Lord entrusts to you, the, the, the people that you're blessing now with these things are going to be the very same people that welcome you into their eternal residences in Christ's everlasting kingdom. He's encouraging us to start seeing people as forever, not just temporary, but forever. So let me say this as we finish up. We live in a world that doesn't really think like this. You know, the things we talked about this morning, this idea of having an eternal perspective, this world doesn't really think like this. This is not a common perspective. And I think even for us as believers in Christ, this isn't something that's always a common perspective. But as believers, as our faith in Christ grows, we can begin to learn to see things from that eternal perspective. It's a blessing to gain Christ's eternal perspective while we're living in the midst of this temporary world because it impacts a variety of things. It impacts the nature of our hope. It impacts the nature of how we deal with trials. And I think it impacts the nature of the value that we place on relationships. So again, I don't know what you're dealing with right now. If your life is anything like my life, you go through seasons where it seems like, oh, I, I guess everything's fine, right? You're like, yeah, looks like everything's fine. And then a surprise works its way in. You're like, oh, well, now today everything doesn't feel fine. And you're like, all right, that was a surprise. and I didn't expect that. And I know that, that apart from the intervention of Christ, apart from his presence, I think I'd look at those things in a very different, a very different way. I think I'd, I'd just feel completely overwhelmed with the things of this world that kind of work their way in, that all of a sudden you start looking at and you say, all right, this is too heavy for me to carry alone. And I love the fact that Christ looks at us and he's like, yes, absolutely, it is too, carry for, or too heavy for you to carry alone. And that's why I've promised to be with you always to the very end of the age. So again, I don't know what you're dealing with right now. I hope you're going through a lull. <laughs> I hope you're going through one of those easier seasons. But if you go through a harder season, I just want to encourage you to per just look at it from a perspective of joy that is not dependent on circumstances. Knowing that Christ is with you and knowing that ultimately he has benefit for you and for humanity in general and for his glory, all wrapped up in whatever adversity you're presently experiencing. It's ultimately something that the Lord can use that can stretch our faith and develop our relationship with Him further, and even on the other side of it, cause us to just rejoice as we're looking at how His hand orchestrates all things perfectly in His perfect time. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege to be able to look at a portion of Scripture like this today and to just think about how you 
orchestrate all sorts of things for your glory and for our good. Lord, I realize that when we look at some of the things that were taking place in Philemon's life and some of the things taking place in Onesimus' life and even the things taking place in Paul's life as he was writing this letter from prison, Lord, it's very helpful to be reminded of these things. We look at Philemon, how at one point he just embraced slavery, thought of it as no big deal. And Onesimus, how he was living in slavery for a season. And then you taught these men what true liberty really means. You gave these men liberty as they trusted in your son, Jesus Christ. Then you encouraged them to apply that to how they related to one another. Lord, thank you so much for the fact that in the midst of all the things that we wrestle with and all the things that we go through, that we could look at all of this and and we could say, all right, I, I don't need to adopt this world's perspective toward these things. I don't need to try and find temporary solutions to these things. I don't need to... I don't need to get my mind all wrapped up in momentary trials and, st- and to the point where I start treating these things like they are permanent circumstances. And Lord, sometimes when we allow our minds to go in that spot, that could take us to a, a, a very dark place when we start treating our temporary circumstances like they're forever. But Lord, you've shown us the kind of forever that you desire that we experience. And Lord, as we live in the midst of a world that doesn't understand the nature of eternal hope, as we live in the midst of a world that is trying to anchor its hope and its sense of well-being to very transient things, we pray, Lord, that we would be eager and that we would take the opportunity to, to give the reason for hope that we possess through your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, if there are people in our lives that that right now are really struggling with a sense of hopelessness, we pray that the hope that we convey would be something that would encourage them and lift them up. And Lord, we're just so grateful for the fact that you have transformed our thinking, and you continue to transform it. You continue to help us to mature in our walk with you. You continue to help us to grow in our walk with you. We're just grateful for that, Lord, because we know apart from your intervention, we would be living a hopeless life as well. So, Lord, thank you for these reminders from your word. Thank you for the fact that we could look forward with different eyes. And thank you, Lord, for using the circumstance that Philemon and Onesimus and Paul found themselves in to give Paul an opportunity to start to to help Philemon to start seeing things from that eternal perspective. Yes, you experience pain, but look at the eternal benefit that's going to come from this. Lord, help us to have that perspective as well. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your goodness and your grace, and we thank you for your presence with us today. And we commit ourselves to your care. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.